five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the Wisconsin DMA and the International Society for Strategic Marketing. Okay, thought leadership. And this is from Tom Fishburne, who I think is a thought leader, even by his own definition. So that's pretty cool. Enough about our new campaign. Let's talk about what should go in my thought leadership LinkedIn post about our new campaign. Isn't that the truth? Yeah. And, of course, I'm guilty of darn near everything that Tom highlights here. Um, So let's get into it. The term thought leadership was first coined in 1994 by Joel Kurtzman, editor of Strategy Business. With a narrow focus in mind, he wrote, thought leaders are people who, who possess a distinctively original idea, a unique point of view, or an unprecedented insight into their industry. I don't know. Do I qualify? You be the judge, right? Uh, So since then, the meaning of thought leadership has devolved into a catch-all term that is interchangeable with pretty much any sort of content, whether or not it's distinctively original, unique, or unprecedented. There are more people than ever claiming the mantle of thought leadership, uh, and they've been tracking it at LinkedIn and... um, found that 89% of decision makers believe thought leadership is effective in enhancing their perception of an organization. Okay. Yet only 17% of them rate the the quality of most of the thought leadership they read as very good or excellent. Okay. So, so everybody thinks if you're a thought leader, people will listen to you. Um, My experience in life has been pretty much the opposite. What it takes to be a thought leader is someone swimming upstream, fighting the, the, the status quo. Uh, you know, I've been fighting. <laughs> I fought the definition of direct marketing when the, w, when the DMA uh, it had it on every magazine cover. I still don't agree with it. Uh, it took me five years to get that piece published on the definition. Um, Pete Hoke, one of the authors of that definition, looked like he was ready to punch me in the nose the first time we met because he said, where'd you get this stuff? Well, I said that testing was the most important factor. You know, I still think I'm right. So did Bob Stone. Anyway, so so I've been fighting the world ever since. Uh, And so... But, you know, I think the other characteristic of leadership is someone following you. And I don't know that I have anybody. <laughs> like, you know, no comments today. So uh, I, I ask people, you know, we have our meetups. I ask them, well, what should I do differently to get more followers? Nothing. You're doing a great job. You're fighting with everybody. <laughs> okay. Well, anyway, so uh, so I put out a lot of content. That's where Tom is going with this. In 2021, they observed a pandemic-induced glut of low-quality content <laughs> is diluting the perceived value of thought leadership. I actually took a course on, th- on it was about $5,000 out in San Francisco, and it was guys from Australia. And uh, it was really good. I really, it was really good. And it really helped, helped you hone your ideas down and get them into a shape that, that when you were asked a question, you could actually answer it. Uh, with lucidity there's a good word uh anyway 71 percent of decision makers now say that less than half of the thought leadership they consume gives them valuable insights okay 
So probably not getting anything right right now out of this, except that you, your opinion of your thought leadership may be lower than the rest of the world. Um, and a lot of people mix a lot of content in here. Careful, the last content was full of marketing. Speaking of which, we have WDMA has a, has a, whoop, over here, has a meetup coming. And uh, it's a week from tomorrow at 2 p.m. So uh, we'll stick some marketing in here because, you know, it's a good thing. And we're going to have a special guest. We got a new format, just a slightly different format, where we're giving one of our WDMA members uh, a little bit of time to talk about their business and why it's important and why they're great at it. And so I'm looking forward to that with a with a great deal of of, of uh, expectation. So get over there, see our new format. There'll be an email coming out, but and I haven't even I haven't even done the WDMA registration yet. So you can't register yet. So don't go over there. So this isn't really marketing. Okay, new bill would require sites to summarize data practices. Okay, this is from Wendy Davis. There's uh, Republican, Democrat, Democrat with this bill called TL, TLDR, TLDR, for Terms of Service Labeling, Design, and Readability. Shouldn't it be T-O-S-L-D-R? Anyway, and it's supposed to make it easier to read and less confusing, um, but I like the hustle's take on it. Uh, the TLDR Act would force tech companies to break legal jargon into understandable language being more transparent about the data collection. So highlight the data collection at least. When was the last time you actually read the terms and conditions on a website? I usually do scroll through them if they make me. Yeah, me neither. So uh, the TLDR Act says it's supposed to make everything more understandable. Here's the, the keys. Any data breaches in the last three years, Actually, that just tells you that the horse is already out of the barn. Time to close the door. Any personal data that the site collects, always curious about that, and if and how consumers can delete their data, which you shouldn't be able to do, but you can write out. We don't delete your data. We just flag it so we don't use you again. Um, if you told people that, they'd get all mad. But that's the way to do it. That's the right practice to make everybody happy. Okay, so the bad news is now instead of blindly agreeing to whatever terms of service entail, realizing that they can't possibly be too terrible or they would have to tell you, uh, you may actually have to read something. I thought that was funny. Okay, so this is an article. Um, this is an article by Lance Hill in the UK that I really wanted to get to. I would want to get to it for a couple of like two weeks. And it just, I keep talking too much. Um, you know, if I were a thought leader, I would just keep it punchy and short. But there's just too much stuff all of a sudden. Two weeks ago, there wasn't anything. There wasn't anything to talk about. Now it's just a flood. After, after New Year's, it came like a flood. So five key considerations. Lance Hill is the MD of, of DP and DM. That would be a good slogan, wouldn't it? The MD of DM for direct. I could be the doctor of direct marketing. MD DM. <laughs> Thanks for that one, Lance. Anyway, uh, their company uh, is all about direct direct mail. So there's been a renaissance 
COVID got people mailing again because people were at home and uh, it provided a welcome in interruption from Zoom calls. The government notified everybody in the UK about the lockdowns and 66% uh, said it impacted their behavior. Direct mail can cut through the clutter, demands interaction, and delivers your message directly. Okay. <laughs> Though, you know, a phone call or a personal visit or a retail interaction might all be more direct than direct mail, but, you know, that was one of those things I fought about for years. Okay. As digital print and direct mail specialists, eight days a week print solutions are often asked by businesses, what is the best way to go about starting direct mail? Eight days a week? There's only seven days a week. I'll have to find out from Lance what this is about. Anyway, first, have a clear idea of your goals and who you're going to speak to. And I would probably split this and say, what do you want to happen is the first. That is makes sense. What's your mission? What's your goal? to get orders, to drive leads, to drive traffic, what is it? And then who is your list? Is it customers? Is it prospects? Is it house files? Is it people who've inquired? Is it people who have visited your website? There's all kinds of questions. My alarm's going off, that's okay. I got plenty of time here. Okay, just have a think. Just <laughs> have a think. Just what is it you wanna achieve, okay? and restates all that stuff. Existing customers are different than, one of the things about direct mail is so great is you can mail your customers differently than you mail your prospects and your acquisition pieces. You can give a better offer, you know, even in, you know, if you were a local grocery store, you could mail your existing customers um, information about produce or about, you know, about what to do with their, with their customer uh, you know, their customer check, what used to be a check cashing card. That's what's sticking in my head here. But like my pig card is, uh, it gives me gas discounts that I haven't used. Uh, it, it gives me discounts as I go through the store. Those kinds of messages would be great for customers. Not so much for prospects. For prospects, you actually want to give them something that's probably your, better than what you're giving the customers. You know, the problem with most with most retail advertising is you give the same kind of deals to your prospects that you do to your customers. You erode margin for customers and you don't incentivize prospects enough. Something to think about. Okay. How are you going to mail to your customers? This is, um, this gets at the second issue. Uh, if you were going to use, if you're starting a new business in a town, you could use um, and this is the UK. This article is written in the UK. So I don't know that much about door-to-door -door drops or about um, or about partially addressed mail, which basically has no person's name on it. So it gets around GDPR or PAM it's called. Okay, it uses a postal uses postal code data. That's a lot like every door direct, okay? Um, and door-to-door uh, -door drops are segmented also. I'm not sure the difference between these two, except these maybe have an, uh, oh, uh, these allow you to reach customers in a very short time. So maybe this is different. Maybe this does allow discounts. Now, in, in the U.S., like Andrew Ettinger's talked, we, we talked about this. He uses he doesn't use every door direct uh, for customer mailings because 
uh, you can't differentiate the offer. So he uses saturation mail um, in the zip codes where they have lots of customers and gets basically the same kind of postal discounts as every door direct, but with a more precise shot. Okay, these are big issues, but um, mostly only if you're doing local mail. Okay, and then there's regular direct mail. Um, and uh, Lance says 96% engagement rate. I would say, yeah, it, it, we know who you're mailing. We know it gets delivered because we have informed visibility. We know that it gets uh, touched by a decision maker because not everybody in the household can throw out the mail. And we know that uh, you have to deal with it. So it's at least, yeah, at least 96%. Okay, communicate clearly. Now we're getting into the offer, okay? Personalization is not necessarily effective, I have to say, Lance. The more precisely you personalize, the less relevant or the chances of the chances are greater and greater that your message is less and less relevant. If you think about that, right? If you if you host a flag and say sale today, it can apply to everybody. But if you say, oh, the last time you were in was December 12th and we know you're a woman and we know that you bought plus size pantyhose. Let's just say it's a famous it's a famous campaign by Sara Lee Direct Legs <clears throat> where they sold sizes that the grocery stores didn't sell, the pharmacies didn't sell. So uh, when, when you get to that level of personalization, there's a chance that you're not mailing a woman. Okay, there's strike one. <laughs> there's a chance that they didn't come in on that date that you decided to mention. Strike two. And maybe they're not plus size. <laughs> Maybe that's not what they bought. Strike three. You know, not only can you can you not be relevant, you can be beyond annoying. You can be invasive and creepy. You can be telling people that things that they don't want to know. So anyway, personalization is a is a double-edged sword, and mostly it'll cut your own throat. Be very, very, very careful what you personalize. And sometimes, even when you know all that stuff, a title is better. Sometimes you really want to get, especially in business to business, you want to get to the person that is in charge of something. And those people change. So mailing to the same person's name when they've changed positions doesn't help you. Okay, direct mail has an ability to stand out. Link up with other channels. <coughs> I still do have a little bit of a dry cough. Excuse me for that. Um, QR code, drive people to your website. Uh, I've been a fan of that ever since it came out. Follow-up emails, try sending a letter to unopened email recipients. All of those things make sense. Um, card abandonment, re, 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 uh, retargeting. Using more than one channel helps you find out what your, how your customers like to be communicated with. Don't, don't be too sure. You know, don't put, don't be too quick to put people in the, those boxes. Um, there are email customers that that are worth a mail, and there are mail customers that are not worth much. Okay, make us make the experience count. Okay, your mailing piece has to be handled. You can try different paper types, innovative folds, laminations, and foil finishes. Now, 
here's a big issue here because uh, we were in the midst of a postal increase. This was years ago. And we were also moving to Rotogravure to save money and run a bigger run length. And I said, you know, since Rotogravure, that's a, uh, it's a technology where that you, you use big cylinders and you electrostatically charge the ink. And what it does is it basically throws the, the ink deposits in wells in indentations made by a, a poker that cuts the a stylus that cuts the cylinders. It allows you to put more ink on paper than 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 an offset press would hold, uh, and so it's used for long run print runs. Think of freestanding inserts, especially newspaper runs. Mostly, we're always uh, we're probably always roto, but anyway, for sure the freestanding inserts were. And so I said, and and that putting down more ink allows you to cover the surface of a more porous of a more porous inexpensive paper so I said let's do a uh, let's do a paper test while we're at it uh, and we were printing a 600,000 piece uh, we were doing a 600,000 piece drop which is a pretty big drop for us and so we split it 50 50 in uh, in a ground wood and versus a regular offset type paper that we've been always printing on and um, we were hoping that the inexpensive groundwood paper would do uh, just as well, but save us 20% in, in paper cost. It turned out that the groundwood did 20% better on a 300,000 piece AB split, um, 300,000 in each panel. And we stayed with it after that. Uh, what we believe happens is that sometimes mailers put, put together mailing pieces that look too good that look too expensive. And this I've seen this happen uh, at least another three or four times explicitly uh, where the mailer didn't look, it looked too expensive. And, and the message was supposed to be that we're a good value. And sometimes that psychological feel of the paper can communicate more effectively than the, the sale banner that's on the top. So be careful in different don't always assume that a better paper is going to do better or innovative folds or laminations or foil finishes or all these things that make it look more regal can actually reduce the response so it's really 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 important to test those things and that i i take this i take number five away as be sure to test not necessarily be sure to try expensive paper and for that i'll give lance credit so have a great day like and share i hope this was Thought leadership at its finest. Bye-bye.